Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Stalin acted not through persuasion, explanation, and patient cooperation with people, but by imposing his concepts and demanding absolute submission to his opinion. Whoever opposed these concepts, or tried to prove his own viewpoint and the correctness of his own position, was doomed to removal from the leadership collective and to subsequent moral and physical annihilation. This was especially true during the period following the 17th Party Congress, when many prominent party leaders and -and rank-and-file party workers honest and dedicated to the cause of communism, fell victim to Stalin's despotism. Nikita Khrushchev elaborates on Stalin's crimes during his incendiary speech on the cult of personality and its consequences performed in front of a closed audience of the 24th to 25th of February, 1956. Which impact can one individual make on history? This question springs to mind when examining some of history's great men. Rarely, it seems, is that question applied to the life of Joseph Stalin. This is a strange fact when you consider what Stalin did between taking power in the aftermath of Lenin's death and the end of his own life just 30 years later. Stalin had overseen a period of intense and prolonged danger in the Soviet Union and emerged on the other side to lead one of the world's superpowers by 1945. On paper, discounting all other variables, facts and figures, Stalin's achievements in bringing the successor state of the Russian Empire into such a position seem to verge on miraculous. It is this very one-sided viewpoint which has led a cult of Stalin to remain in place to this day. Just look at Putin's presentation of himself and you'll see there a continuation of Stalin's imperialist legacy, and I'm even more convinced of this than I was when 1956 first came out. You can probably tell why. Never before, even during some of the excesses of Ivan the Terrible hundreds of years before, did a Russian leader so terrorise his own people as Stalin did. Stalin was not like other leaders in Russian history, though. He had no blood ties, no legitimate spiritual claim on the leadership, or even the blessing of his famed predecessor. This insecurity was just one part of the reason of why Stalin became so violently dangerous to his subjects. He had no legitimate claim save the accumulation of enough power to stay in place. He would have to forge this legitimacy with blood and several years of deliberately destructive policies. He also happened to be in possession of an endlessly ambitious appetite in addition to his inbuilt sense of paranoia, which led him to do still more reckless and provocative things, 
in the name of gaining greater powers. If you listened to the Cold War Crash Course, came out just before the Korean War, you'll see how dependent upon Stalin's behaviour the preceding years of the Cold War were. Without Stalin, it is easy to argue affairs could have developed differently. Yet, Stalin brought his prejudices, his ambitions and his fears to bear after 1945, and he inflicted a profound misery on anyone who stood in his way. It's sometimes forgotten just how great Stalin's ambitions were, or how feared and loathed he was by peers and contemporaries. The historian Albert Parry, writing in 1956, made a declaration to this effect in an academic journal at the time that the legacy of Stalin was up for debate. Parry said, There is indeed little doubt by now Stalin wished to see the whole world conquered for his rule, and that the older he grew, the more obsessive this desire became. He wanted the world to be his before he was too old to enjoy such supreme power. He called upon Soviet medicine to prolong his life indefinitely, but he knew that someday die he must. He wanted the world as his going away present. During the Korean War series, we saw how important Stalin was for the escalation and continuation of that conflict, but 1956 isn't so much about what Stalin managed to do, but about what he failed to do. As all great and paranoid leaders appreciated, it was too dangerous to appoint or groom a successor while you were still alive, in case they pushed you out before your time was up. Stalin wholeheartedly embraced this method of thinking, and the result was several years of confusion and trauma after his death by a succession of strokes on the 5th of March, 1953. For sure, several figures hovered around the leadership circle. Lavrenti Beria had been head of the Soviet Union's secret police, the NKVD. Gorgi Malenkov had been a stable if somewhat bland minister for agriculture. Molotov had been a staple feature of Soviet foreign affairs, dating back to the death of Lenin. Anastash Mikoyan, Molotov's equal in many respects, was the wily Armenian who had played his own significant role in shaping Soviet affairs as well. Then we come to Nikita Khrushchev, the dark horse in the race, who had distinguished himself through his stringent obedience to Stalin's will, particularly in Ukraine. As the death of Stalin reminds us, Stalin also found Khrushchev hilarious, and what do you do when a murderous dictator laughs at your jokes? Well, I don't know about you, but I would make more jokes. These men all held ambitions, and would vie between 1953 and 56 for a position at the top of the greasy pole, and it would cost many their lives. Of course, in the end, there could be only one, and this one was, contrary to the expectations of his peers, foreign opinion, and likely Stalin himself, Nikita Khrushchev, the thick-necked, comparatively uneducated and occasionally rude official who had made his name by keeping the Ukrainian peasantry low. The question of the impact made by individuals is one we can also apply to Khrushchev, considering what followed the elimination of his major rivals by late 1955. Khrushchev's policy wasn't more of the same, necessarily. What he wanted to do was reduce and remove the worst excesses of Stalinism while still retaining the system of Soviet imperialism and occupation which Stalin had built since the death of Lenin. It shouldn't surprise us to learn Khrushchev had played a not insignificant role in implementing Stalin's policies and in helping to inflate the overblown cult of Stalin as well. Yet it may surprise us at the same time to note Khrushchev would feel so driven to undo Stalin's legacy. He wouldn't just quietly change the Stalinist methods, he would make a speech denouncing the very concept of Stalinism, 
epitomised by the cult of personality Stalin had built up around him. This decision, which Khrushchev felt compelled to make for a variety of reasons we will examine in this series, it had a profound impact upon the peoples of the Soviet Union in 1956 and beyond. It threw up many questions, sowed intense confusion, and paved the way for demands for greater and lasting change, most notably in Poland and Hungary. The speech was entitled The Cult of Personality and Its Consequences, and has since been referred to as the secret speech because Khrushchev delivered it to a closed session of the 20th Party Congress in late February. The secret speech, partly due to foreign intrigue, partly due to Khrushchev's own convictions, didn't remain secret for very long. In the first part of 1956, our task will involve detailing the aftermath of Stalin's rule and the power vacuum he left behind. We'll explain how Khrushchev managed to outmanoeuvre his rivals and reach the top of the greasy pole. We will detail how and why the decision to perform the secret speech was reached by Khrushchev and others. We'll see what impact it had on the Soviet Union, and we'll follow this impact as its message is disseminated throughout the troubled satellites in Eastern Europe, above all in Warsaw and Budapest. Throughout this narrative, we'll see how the interests of the Chinese, the Americans and the British intertwined with the Soviet troubles, and how that other significant event of 1956, the Anglo-French-Israeli attack on Egypt, manifesting itself in the Suez Crisis, kept the West distracted from the shooting in Budapest or the intrigue in Warsaw. This first part of 1956, focusing on the Soviet perspective, also provides a kind of sequel to the Korean War. If you wanted to appreciate what followed that conflict or Stalin's tenure in office, this series here provides the answer. Similarly, in the second part, which looks at the Western angle and the Suez Crisis, we're greeted with what followed Western activity and apparent unity following the involvement of the Americans, British and French in Korea. We're thus confronted with several aims, some of them quite ambitious and others quite ambiguous. For 15 episodes, either way, we'll be detailing life after Stalin, how the Man of Steel left a similarly steely shadow and massive shoes for his unprepared successors to fill. The stumbles they endured, and the way Soviet doctrine developed or backslid over the years that followed, all tell a story which I feel is underrepresented in the historiography of the 20th century, not to mention in the podcast medium. A lot of research went into this series, both past Zach understood this, and looking back over what I did here, current Zach, current Dr. Zach understands this as well. And I can honestly say it was a ball bringing it to life back then, and it's been really enjoyable going back through it. So without any further ado, I guess what I have to say is, enjoy. Enjoy 1956 and let me know what you thought. Either way, I have been Dr. Zach. You're a wonderful history friend. Thanks for listening, and I'll be seeing you all soon. Gloomy Sunday.
Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 